Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm super excited that you guys are um, back for another episode. Um, I am really excited to bring you another amazing guest. Um, We've got Aaron Johnson in the building today. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yes, I'm super. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Aaron and I had a conversation, as I do with everybody that comes on the pod, a few months ago and um just so y'all know i i mean if y'all have listened to past episodes y'all know i'm trying to cope with like not doing things perfectly and i definitely had a had an amazing conversation with aaron and i was so excited to record with him and then what happens i never sent the link to book so um aaron like graciously reached out was like hey (laughs) we still doing this you still want to link up And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot. So uh, I'm glad that even after all that, we still have a chance to uh, get on the mic and record together. I'm really excited about this conversation that we're about to have today. Um, But let me tell you all a little bit about Aaron and the amazing things that he's doing uh, for, for the community. So he is a facilitator, public speaker and a touch specialist. And we are going to get more into that later. Um, he is working to identify and interrupt barriers between people, uh, as a co-founder of both holistic resistance and grief to action. Aaron takes the time to hold the stories of black people around homophobia, transphobia, internalized racism, and those that are chronically under touched because oppression is a part of historical and a present American culture. As we all know, the long-term impact of those trauma stories should be acknowledged and held as a map for our collective healing. Aaron practices and invites various methods of moving through these stories, such as communal communal listening ear, sound healing, meditation, and closeness to earth. Um, Speaking of closeness to earth, he is also doing amazing work um, when it comes to alternative forms of housing. Um, So we might have some time to get a little bit into that. Um, But as you guys know, we are going to hop into our first uh, segment of the pod. And if you're new, uh, well, let me tell you what we're about to do. We're going to play Fast and Curious, which is a three-minute game, which sometimes turns into five minutes of me just asking guests random questions so we can learn a little bit more about them. Aaron, you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Um, What is your favorite time of day? Uh, Morning time by far. How I start my day sets the tone for everything else. Love that. How, How early is early for you? Like what's a 6 a.m. feels like a good time to start. So I'm going to get up about 5 30. So right on that time frame. Oof. I am definitely asleep during that time, but I'm up at like 1 a.m. So it's, it's opposite. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. What was the, who was the last person that you hugged? Oh, uh, a black man in Port Townsend named Ben, which is huge because we don't, we, we are, he, we never hugged before. We're just meeting each other. So that was the last person I hugged. Wow. I got in a plane. Wow. Um, yeah. What is your favorite destination to visit that you've already been to? Oh, wow. You're in trouble here. I've been touring all over the place. But like, you didn't pick my town. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I would say, not to get in too much trouble here, I would say it's a, it's a dead tie between Port Townsend Washington and Asheville, North Carolina, a dead tie. I enjoyed both exactly the same amount. He's he's making that very clear so y'all don't come for him. Okay, why do you enjoy one? You know, why do why do you enjoy these two places? You know, at the end of the day, it's the people. You know, I I I could talk about how gorgeous Port Townsend and how quaint and nice Asheville, North Carolina, but truthfully. It's the human beings I met there. It's how we were able to drop into deep community 
um, which makes the environment really amazing. I can go to the most gorgeous environments, but if if the environment has some you know toxic human beings moving in and out that trauma story, it's a whole different level. So I think for me, um, I had two profound deep human connection experiences in both those spaces. And I would say too, um, I got the opportunity to get, work skillfully, I think on my um, uh, like tree material very skillfully and also my, my um, uh, ocean material, which I didn't really work on a whole lot, but working with any kind of trauma I have with the ocean and, and maybe African heritage was really nice and having white folks not get confused about how my experience is also beautiful and I'm grounded and enjoying it. And also there's some grief and fear and terror and they both coexist and there doesn't cancel out the other, but just having that option to enjoy and grieve in those locations felt really powerful. Mm. Oh, I feel like I have so many more questions about that. Um, that's a beautiful way to put it um, in terms of like why you like certain places. Um, that's a great answer. Okay. What was the last song that you danced to? Mm. I did a, I was playing back a improvised song from by McFerrin and I was just doing a little bit like self-touch practice. We'll talk a little bit more later. And it, it turned to almost like a little bit of dance. I was kind of moving myself a little bit. It was kind of, it wasn't like a, it was more like improv. It was like improv sounds. So I was improving with it as well. And yeah. so it was the last song. So it wasn't a song. It was a song, but it has no name. It was yeah. improved um, by some folks at a Bob McFerrin um, uh, intensive. I was able honored to go to. I like that. I like that those moments when like, you know, I mean, of course you can go out and like go hang out with your friends or random people and go dance, but it's like those moments in your house where all of a sudden like you're moving and you're dancing and you're like, okay, I didn't really like playing for this, but it's happening, you know? Um, yep. Like being in your body. So yes, we'll definitely get, get more into that. Um, what is your best scar story? Like I have, I have a ton of like I played sports all my life and I'm also very tall and clumsy. So I have tons of scars uh, for various reasons, but what, um, do you have like a good scar story that you want to share? Yeah, I have a scar on my hand right here. It's nice. Mm -hmm. It's pretty small now. Um, it's mm -hmm. hard to see, but it's right here on my hand. Um, and I, um, I have an older brother who's creative and he, he was like, it was, my dad's a welder and he had a welding machine that was super hot. And he was like, I can touch it. And it doesn't even hurt. He wasn't touching it. He was faking touching it. I was like, oh, what? No. Burned myself. I thought you could touch it. And it wasn't hot. I've been running all day. It was super hot. Burned my hand. And I still have a scar today. And it's just, it, it's toughness. I, I'm really close to my older brother. I just want to name, like, there's ways in which siblings will, will, uh, this is the 90s, man. It's like torture. Even nowadays, yeah. you know, it's tortured by, by being older siblings. So it's just like yeah. one of those narratives where I got got. But what's useful about it is it reminds me how much like shaping and rumbling, tumbling I get with my older siblings. So particularly my older brother. So it's kind of a trial by fire. Ooh, literally a trial by fire. Literally. <laughs> um, if you could meet any person from history um, that that's no longer living, um, you could sit down and have a conversation with them. Who would you choose? I would I would want to talk to Hitler's parents. I feel like if we could have a conversation about the child they were raising, could shape some things. Love to chat really? with them about it. Yeah, I would love to get your thoughts on like how personality people are born with their personalities and how it can't change. Because I kind of feel like it can. <laughs> and it seems like based on your answer, you might also feel like there's room for change. Possibly. Oh, hands down. Has oh, I mean, hands down. I mean, yeah. hands down. I think I think you know, you know, the Terminator got famous for like going back in time and like trying to kill the revolution before it was born. And I feel like if you really think about how parents shaped the world, what that film we really should have went back to is went back to the parents and been like, whatever you want that little child to be in the future, just get the ecosystem, whoever's shaping their minds, parents, Sunday school teachers, whoever that is, older siblings. Work on those folks. Those are the ones that's going to change. So for me, I think it's all you're all shaped. We're all shaped. I mean, sure, some things are we're prone to other things. We're DNA and our circumstances and and generation. But generally speaking, it's the humans that that nurture us that shape a big portion of our hurts. Hands down. I think we talked to Hitler's parents. We could change history. That's my theory. Mm, that's a good. That's a good answer. Okay, so um, the government has finally confirmed that aliens are here. I already knew that they're around they, they're real um that's what they've told us as of this summer if you were to meet an alien 
what question would you ask them? Yeah, I think for me, I'm quite clear that if I met an alien, they are probably the most peaceful being in the universe. And so I'd be trying to figure out how they got their entire planet to unify, to create the technology, to get to us. I'd be interested. Yes, I like that. I I kind of have the same thought process of like, I feel like the only reason an alien would come here is to help. Because why else would you come here? Like, yeah this little tiny rock floating in the galaxy, you come here, you got to come here to like help us out a little bit and like, you know, help us, help us with a long list of things that we can. They probably can't help us. They probably can't help us because it's probably within their like ethics that they can't alter other, other life forces trajectory. Um, So they probably have to have a hands off kind of like, ah, yeah, you got to just, you know, they probably can't because they probably, in order to travel beyond light speed and to, be able to move in and out. You have to have technology well beyond us. So they, they, they can't, it's like, they have to be very careful. I'm sure there's a rebel in the alien world. It's like, I'm going to help the humans. And they'll fall in love with us and they'll give us some technology. It'll happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So they're all, they're all here, but they're just like, just hoping we figure it out. Just like we, we were there too. Just another, just another hundred thousand years. And you realize that atomic weapons are a waste of your time. But boy, it's painful to wait and watch. I sense that's what's happening. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a, see, I kind of feel like they're like pulling some strings in the background and then somebody at the Pentagon found out and they were like, oh no, but I feel like they were trying to help us. Anyways, I feel like we could probably do um, like an improv session of what would the conversation be like with an alien, but we won't go down that that rabbit hole. Um, not today, at least, uh, but I would gladly go down uh, the rabbit hole any other day. <laughs> uh, but thank you for playing Fast and Curious with me. That was great. Um, also, you seem like a great person for me to just like ask random questions and for us to just have uh, a very cool random conversation. <laughs> All day. <every laughs> what day. if? <laughs> um, so we are going to kind of hop into what um man there there is just so much to talk about as to what you're doing Aaron but one thing that really stood out for me is the cut project for you um that is something that I found really really interesting so can you tell the audience a little bit or a lot about what the cut project is and why that is something that is special to you mm. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm at the end of a a seven month tour. I got I'm finished up September, so I just might just there's a whole lot of there's a whole <laughs> lot of moving through. So I'm gonna be thoughtful when you say this. It's like <laughs> I could just I just want to be thoughtful of how much it wants to move through my body, but I'll try and be succinct and and specific on what the chronically under touched project is, aka Cut Project, the acronym. It is for everybody, and I'm starting with black men in America. And I happen to be a black cis male in America myself. But I just want to say that there's a whole nother school of thought we don't have time for in this particular call called the chronically overtouched, which also can be black men, but most of the time it is black women. And they're oftentimes overtouched, touched outside of their will and consent by chronically undertouched male bodies and oftentimes black bodies on their ecosystem they're in. That's why name that's there so folks that know that that school of thought is there and has a whole lot of thinking and black women that are working on that that I'm excited to have you all have access to. But right now I'm going to talk about the chronically undertouched, which is primarily, not only, but primarily black, cis, young men. Our elders overtouched, our undertouched, yes. Our children uh, oftentimes elected to touch, yes. But I find that there's a there's an investment that the culture has for a black male body like myself to have any kind of tender, thoughtful touch and have a practice to do it with other black, cis men platonically. Mm. And so I sit here because that feels, when I spoke to you in our pre-call, my TEDx talk was like on its way being put into the world, but just in the last 20 days, it's, it's gone up. 
it's live. And oh, so in the end of that talk, thank you. Thank you. It's huge. And at the end of that talk, I said, let's make Tinder Touch for Black men Googleable. Make it accessible. And I say that because what the Cut Project is, is an acknowledgement, is an acknowledgement that we are tracking that when I want to see an example of a black man dying in public, I can see that example. When I want to see an example of a black man hurting each other through boxing, either in a, in a ring or on the street, I can find that video. But if I want to see an example of two cis black men thoughtfully, platonically holding each other, listening to each other, I don't care if it's a father or son, I don't care if it's brothers and brothers, I don't care if it's cousins, I don't care what the scenario is, if it's platonic and thoughtful and cuddly, it, it, it really interrupts the black brute trauma story, which the NFL's invested into, the UFC's invested into, Hollywood's invested into, mainstream and underground porn is invested into, hip-hop, for the most part, is invested into, with some of the exceptions here and there. They're all invested. I'm not saying that strong black masculinity is the run from. I'm saying that you could be a strong masculine male and also be tender and thoughtful, have skillful platonic touch practices, which enhances all parts of your life. And the Cup Project says, let's build practices, accessibility, coaching, workshops, containers for black men to say, how do I start reclaiming my touch? For black people to track, how am I investing in the black brute when I don't actually have a thoughtful platonical touch platonic touch plan for my young black son that I'm growing, I'm tending to. How, do, how is that going to impact the black women he's going to meet? How is it going to impact his violence, his mental health? How is it going to shape his entire life if he's never actually hugged a black man for the next 20 years? How is that going to shape him? And who says that a cis, straight, or a cis black straight man can't have all those emotional intelligence intact and still be that? Right? Who says he can't? Right? And so my point is that there's an investment in this conversation. Now, what happens with this narrative there's so many things that gets coughed up, that gets announced, but it gets it gets dealt with. But one of the things I find so powerful is that transphobia, homophobia, all of our phobias around gender get get come up for us, first of all, but get worked through. So therefore, that trans folks that interact with black men are a lot safer when we work on our touch needs. Um, uh, queer folks as a whole are safer around black cis men when we work on our touch needs. We're not violent. Black cis men are safer around black cis men when we actually understand how to be platonically close. The first reaction, the first reaction, if a cis black man thoughtfully touches a black man, oftentimes is a violent response. It's violence, yes. It's yes. a violent response. Yeah. And that is not who we actually are, but it's how we're conditioned. And the chronically undertouched project is saying, let's notice it, and what are we going to do about it? Can you talk about a little bit where that initial reaction comes from? Because I know, I, and I'll just speak a little bit about like, from what I've seen growing up is just what you said. Anytime that there is a an interaction from one black cis male who is straight to another that seems to kind of cross the line between like dapping somebody up or like dapping him and like patting him on the back with the other hand, um, it is like a violent, like gut-wrenching reaction if there's anything more than that or with the surrounding people you know there's like the okay that's that's gay like no homo or they have to like somehow preface it with like a protection of what their sexuality is um mm -hmm. and i have i've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to travel a lot and the first time i went and lived overseas i lived in a country called bulgaria in the middle of eastern europe and um i had grown up even though I kind of bounce around from different different schools with different, different demographics, a lot of my main core friend groups were black people. And so when I lived, lived there and I saw the basketball team and how they interacted with each other, I was like, are they gay? Because that's what I was taught. And that's what my brain at that time went straight into thinking, um, is this, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's weird how my brain is kind of wired or was wired at that time to automatically question somebody's, a man's sexuality if there was more than this initial like friendly, what we deem as like what's acceptable interaction within the black community. And so for them to be like, you know, wrapping their arms around each other, or, like linking their arms, or I've saw them like go and sit on their, sit on like their teammates lap. And I just, I was like, is this, is there something I should know here? Um, and it's, I had to unlearn that. And it was like my time living there, I had to unlearn 
that these type of re interactions are very normal in other places and there's no question about them in other places. And then to come back from that um, was very, uh, it kind of made me feel sad for, uh, for the men here just because they don't get to have those same joyful, innocent interactions. Um, and yeah, that just, when I, when we had our initial conversation, that was something that I thought long and hard about because I was like, man, there is a lot of, I feel like there's joy missing when that, that platonic interaction isn't there. I would, I would add and say not, is there, not only is there joy missing, which is correct. There's a part of our humanity that's missing. A part of who we are that's missing when that's smothered. And so this conversation outside the United States, in most countries, the majority of the world, this is silly. Like, what are you talking about? Yes, don't touch. Mm -hmm. Like, what? For America, this is a radical idea, right? So that's why I named that when you leave, you know, the European westernized culture, almost every single culture on the continent of Africa, there's many examples of Asian culture where, where holding hands, snuggling, being close as cis black, as cis men is normalized. Mm-hmm. Here, the black brute trauma story is so intact that it is a radical idea to show that level of tenderness, even though um, many people are begging for it, desiring it, just not knowing where to go. Then where, where do I go? Where's the Starbucks for black male cuddling? Where's the Starbucks for cuddling? Where, and there's professional cuddlers. There's places where it's happened, but this is not oftentimes easily accessible to black men, easily accessible to folks that have been pinned from a very young age that they're a brute. So you're 100% right. And I think the other piece is that um, we talk about a lot of the crime that is associated with black men. It's amazing to me how much we talk about better schools. We talk about, you know, making sure people have access to transportation. We talk about rehabilitation. We talk about drug management. All, and it's interesting how I just, I see a big vacuum of no one talking about touch. What is the touch plan? Who is holding them? And on top of all of those things, education, shelter. Yes. And what's the touch plan? They've been locked up for 15 years. What are we doing? How are we merging someone from not being there? Chronic touch going into prison. They're in prison for, for 15 years, so they definitely weren't touching that much prior in prison. If they did get a little bit, it wasn't near enough, and then they get out of prison, and now there's a release into the black community or a release into the community as, at large, and there's no one saying, now the first day you get to hold somebody, touch somebody that's on your choice, how do we hold that? Mm-hmm. Right? The second week that you've been out of, out of incarceration and now you're, you're, you're just, your body is adjusted to all the things you have now freedom to do, how do we want to hold your body now? Yeah. What kind of touch do you want? And what kind of on-ramp and what kind of progression of touch that you need that will be safe for your nervous system and for the folks you're reaching for, either be your partner, either be your friend, either be whatever, but what moray of touch do you might need as far as the earth? How do you get your feet to touch the earth when you're now free? How do you get your feet onto the earth? Yeah. Not just casual, but let's go out and walk. Not just walk on the beach. Walk on the beach. Walk on all kinds of surfaces. Yeah. How about you lay down flat on the earth for a couple of hours and have some brothers stand around you and sing and, and hold you and maybe massage your feet and get you up and, and, and let you know that we care about you, we love you. What about that narrative? Where is that accessible on a regular basis? Not just shelter, yeah. right? Let's build ceremony. Let's build practices that aren't that extravagant. They aren't that expensive, but you would imagine that as I'm speaking, there's someone here that's talking about, I haven't even thought of that. You weren't supposed to think of that. That's way too human. That's way too tender. To, I think, mm-hmm. go, you know, going back to, like you're saying, we weren't supposed, that wasn't like in our plan when we were, a lot of us were brought here. A lot of our ancestors were brought here. But I want to go back to, and what you've mentioned a couple of times, which is the black brute. And so um, I, I got a chance to have some awesome professors in college that taught me about um, the different, we'll just call them the different stereotypes that are created. Um, for black people in this particular country, Sambo, Black Brute, Jezebel, all these different ones. But I want you to kind of dig into what is the Black Brute and kind of give us, I know we could probably do a whole separate episode on what that is, but can you give us kind of like a a bite-sized explanation of what that is? Totally, yeah. Um, It's a archetype, it's a story, it's a a powerful... 
story that was invented to justify horrific violence on black community and, and, and targeting black men. And the black brute, need, it, it, the, the, the stereotype needs to frame a, a, a archetype that a community can get excited about destroying and controlling. And so it's a black male body that's oftentimes characterized by their muscle and strength almost exclusively. They're, they're, they're hyper strong, but their brain, as far as intelligence, not that complicated, very simple-minded, one might say. Mm-hmm. And their sexual behavior is uncontrollable. It's wild, but specifically pointed at white women. I think a phrase that's been said in describing the black brute is an unsatiable desire for white women, mm. which invites in someone to stop them. And that is the white male's job to stop and control the black brute. He is not this intelligent. Is that, this has been something that's been around, obviously since the first boat arrived because it is it creates a convenient narrative for control yeah um not just control for i would say even like a, a, at some to some degree brainwashing into thinking like if yeah. you if you are like this then there is a reward at the end of the you know at the end of it um and i know that you know, we could go into how they used to make um, make enslaved people fight against each other and reward yeah. them. And so there's kind of yeah. like this mind. Yeah, there is this there is this brainwashing and this kind of like attempt to rewire us um, yeah. through means of survival and our yeah. understanding of what survival is in that particular moment. And so um, and. For everybody that's listening, if you've listened to past episodes, I know we've talked about um, how trauma can get passed down through DNA. And I think that's kind of where we land today as far as like the this complex relationship with avoidance of touch for black males. And so I want to get into your touch plan and what that is. Can you tell us what the touch plan is? Can somebody create their own touch plan? Can somebody help them create a touch plan? What does that look like? Yeah, you can totally create your own touch plan. I recommend anyone you know that knows somebody, knows somebody, knows somebody, create your own. And I'll talk about how our practices are. I think support can be useful if you're in an environment that's hostile and it's hard to find someone that has any kind of a capacity to hold your tenderness. Um, but I'll just start with like what what we what we describe as a touch plan. It's almost like a clinical name, like touch plan. Um, what is that? And 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 for me, it's simple. I always try to keep my work very simple. We can get very much into the weeds on neural neural technology and how the brain works and the history of the brain. And I want to make sure I could explain this to someone that has never read a book in their life or someone that is super intelligent. Like I want I'm the full spectrum. So I, I start really simple. So a touch plan is simply like anything else in our lives to start to elevate the value of platonic touch. So the first thing in a touch plan is we want to start to take platonic touch from like this peripheral, like unimportant, and like sexual touch is way up here. It's like, that's where we're really, but we're going to take platonic touch and we're not going to move it just equal mm-hmm. to sensual and sexual touch. We're going to move it whoop, a little bit higher. And that's even dangerous to do. Like what? The first thing in, in, in a platonic is we're going to start, this is valuable. This is precious. One of the most important things about a touch plan is that we're just revaluing touch, platonic touch specifically. So once that's in place, and you can tell desire, like some people might lost me right there. They're like, Aaron, when you just said platonic touch is somehow more valuable than sexual touch, I stopped listening. For those that are still listening, hear <laughs> brother out. All right, hear brother out. Just hang in there. I am not trying to diminish, diminish sexual touch, but almost in 100% of the cases, people's sexual space has improved dramatically in ways that we can't describe when they actually have a comprehensive touch plan. So it's not like it's one's better than the other. It's more that one actually supports the other. And we just want to add some balance to this idea. So I just want to be very clear. As much as I say it went higher than, it's more of just recognizing it exists on a level that's valuable. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that idea of touch, we now know it's valuable. So, oh, this is 
This is important. I believe a brother for this far. How is it important? How can I know it's important? And the first thing I just noticed, there's two things I was using as example of like how important touch is. One, if a baby is born and they're not touched, mm-hmm. they die. This is like, mm-hmm. you can Google this. This is Googleable. Mm-hmm. There's studies in Russia and this, I'm just saying that you can Google this. Secondly, there's a hospital, probably many hospitals, one in Los Angeles, you can volunteer and that babies that are born without parents, you can come in there and you can volunteer and just hold them. Mm-hmm. Which I find to be, I haven't done it yet and I, I plan to, but I just want to name like, this is not a casual thing. This is an important practice to bring people to come in and go, I'm going to hold this baby. Don't know this baby for no way, I'm going to hold this baby. Mm-hmm. It's a part of keeping that baby alive. Now, the reason I say that just gives us some like reference points of like, oh, you mean that I can die if I was a baby and didn't have touch? Yes, that's that serious. And all kinds of things can be underdeveloped if we don't have that touch and that, that touch. Okay, now we know that a touch plan is, it can be five minutes, it can be two minutes a day. Mm-hmm. But it's space that can go from one minute, two minutes to multiple hours a day. And I say the average touch plan is 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day, the average that we encourage. But if that's too much for your system, I always say start small. Mm-hmm. A touch plan oftentimes can start with just self-touch, getting used to touching your own body. Often I talk about touch plan and, and men go, masturbation, that is a part of touch, self-touch, but there's a whole other part of your body you get to notice from your forehead right. to your scalp, and you really can appreciate all parts of your body, including your penis, that's included, and all the way down to your toes. Don't don't get fixed. This is platonic. Oftentimes right now we want to start with just what does it mean to be here? And it's not like, like literally just like touching, just not, not, there's no technique other than the fact of not hurt yourself, just what you know, it's just almost noticing your body. It's like almost like listening with your whole body, with your hands, recognizing how sensitive your body, what parts of your body, how do you feel? It's, it's a little assessment. And if you're a person that likes to write, write a little bit after you've done for maybe five minutes of touch and just go, I'm going to write, what did I notice in my body? felt embarrassed. I felt excited. I felt slightly aroused. I felt kind of, I felt grounded. Oh my goodness. So I would say that's a good play. I would say start here because sometimes you don't have people around you that will hold you in a platonic mm-hmm. way that you trust yet. Yeah. So now I'm going to step one more step into a touch plan. I can go a long time. But I'm going to stop here in like five minutes over take a time, but just give you a, a, a preview. A touch plan can be very comprehensive. So I just want to name that. We're going to give you a sampling here. Mm-hmm. The next thing I oftentimes do, and I'm looking around right now because I use, oh, I got one right here. It's a clay ball. It's a clay ball. And I have them all over the house. I have them all the places. It's a clay ball harvested outside. It's a beautiful little clay ball. Anyone that's gone to my workshop gets some version of a dusty version of this, or even this is a really nice clay ball, actually. But you get a clay ball like this. And I oftentimes people to hold it just in your hand, play with it, you can squeeze it, put it in your armpit. It doesn't matter. Just have it with you. There's no, there's no magic to put it on, your, on the top part of your chest and it saves you. No, just, just have it on you. Just once that earth touches your body, you're doing it. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I can just hold it. I'll hold it for us man in this interview. So earth, get some earth, stones, roots, plants. Even that's not purchased from a store, just go find some earth and get used to noticing the earth. And my mentees, I said this in my tech talk, the TEDx talk, I said, when we die, we turn into this. And I was on my mentee, I laugh, ha, ha, ha. And they go kind of quiet, go snap. Mm. This is me. Change our relationship with planetonic touch. Change our relationship with earth. And in the intro, you talked about earth building and you said, Hey, how do we, how do we connect earth building and touch? Yes. We're doing it right. This is the, we're merging right here. This is it's happening, merging right now. We're watching mm-hmm. We're now merging this earth right here. This earth can put some straw on this earth. You put mm-hmm. some uh, sand here at a certain ratio. You got cob, you got cob, you can build a house. You can build a bench. You can build a one seater. You can build a meditation. You can build a nest. This is, uh, thousands of years. Human beings have been building houses that are amazing out of this material right here, Cobb, right? So I want to name that a lot of the mentees that I know, this probably was made by a mentee, we make clay balls. We get used to making our touch plan have included Earth. Now, you mentioned I didn't say anything about a partner or a girlfriend. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about self yeah. and Earth right now, right? Yeah. Self, nothing wrong with all those people. I just want to notice that because when we ask folks what their touch plan is, they go, my girlfriend, my wife, my ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. The girl that I'm going to about to touch without asking is my plan. Mm. that's real they don't oftentimes say this or myself to ground their nervous system right so this is a clay stones any type of natural earth that's safe to touch and be with i love earth is my go-to understand find what works for you but as long as it's nature-based 
Mm-hmm. You can't buy this. This is a free activity. It's all good. Everything I'm saying right now is free. Mm-hmm. The second thing we always say is attached to the earth, but taking off our shoes if we're in a place that we can do this, that feels safe. And walking on grass. Yes. Intentionally walk forward, walk backwards, there. touch trees. You yeah. ground in. They always say, if you have very little time and you can do 10 minutes, go ahead and do two hours. You know, just do more. Get get your get your touch needs with the earth into it if you feel safe and good about it lay out lay your whole body on the earth now make sure you're safe make sure you're not laying some poison oak or something but just know that if you have some earth that you can trust get out on it and if you're in a place where you can take off your clothes take off all of your clothes and lay out and your skin touch it let it get in the crevices get it into your body onto your body it's a big part of it and lay there as long as your body allows you to safe for you the idea is get your body on the earth yes water's a good one that's a water's the, another the good one. Grounding is huge for me. I that's something that I do like I do often. Um, shout out to my friend Aloria that that taught me about grounding a few mm. years back. And I was like, I don't walk anywhere barefoot. You know, I wasn't like in my mm-hmm. house. You don't walk around like you got slippers on or you got in the house is okay barefoot, but outside is definitely you definitely not uh, barefoot. Yeah. Interestingly enough, yeah. so I I used to live in New Zealand for hot minute a, a while back and uh in the place the neighborhood that we lived in a lot of people walked around without shoes yeah. and i did not understand that i was just like i've never seen this before i mean like literally walk from their house into the grocery store shop around and you know in america no shoes no shirt no service so it was my mind blowing for me i have to say i never walked into the grocery store without shoes on but there was a yeah. couple times where I'll walk, take a walk and like walk to the beach without shoes on. I didn't know I was grounding yep. at that moment. But then when my friend taught me about it, now I'm very intentional about it. And as somebody who obviously has anxiety, it does help yeah. my nervous system to just like, whew, like just relax a little bit. Can you talk about some of the benefits, yes. you know, of some of the things that you're talking about, especially like just the touch plan as a whole, some of the benefits for for your nervous system? Totally. Everything, right? But we'll start with this. Like, what are the benefits of water? We live, and we live better. Um, and I'll get more specific. I think for me, anger and rage. I think oftentimes the touch plans will get to, like, holding space, but time touch is, like, um, focus, wrestling, release. So oftentimes with some of the black men, we have some space where we can really push and pull big energy and let that a- anger and rage out in a way that's not violent, in a way that's causing harm, but it's within the consent of both parties and practice on safe holds that make good sense for that. And if I had another model or video, I could kind of show you um, what, I, what those holds could look like. Um, another thing I would say is useful is we, when we have a robust touch plan, we have it completely intact. Um, something that's kind of emerged over the last five to six years is consent. Um, it is so much easier to actually hold consent skillfully, consistently, when you have a touch plan in place. That you're not entering into a space with a trauma-led experience. You're entering into a space very much grounded and in your touch world. So consent across the board is dramatically huge. Another thing, too, is sleep. Um, we talk about anxiety. We talk about depression. We talk about we've seen all those have progress. Some people have had no impact on the depression and some people it's completely wiped it out. It's a full spectrum. But I will say that most people see some improvement in their depression when they're actually having a touch plan that's useful for themselves, the earth, and with other humans. I've seen, I've seen almost 90% of the time we've seen improvement. There's some cases like, no, it didn't work. But in 90% of the cases, I would say, we've seen improvement on all fronts of those. Another thing too is we have found that it, it dismantles the black brute trauma story that is so in the air for black bodies today. And why dismantling, now we're talking about less violence, we're talking about, um, uh, we're talking about uh, really showing up as a full tender self, talking about how actually tears, all the folks that have touched plans like after their tears. So some brothers have been, I've been holding, I held my tears in for 20 years. So just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 41, I got 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I just am 11 years into my crying as an adult. It is, I mean, another episode, but the idea of just tears alone in male bodies, tears alone in yes. black male bodies, it is huge for our mental yes. health. It is huge for our humanity. It is huge for our rest and sleep. It is huge for our relationship stay intact. It is huge for us to be embodied. So there's like all those things. So that's there. Yeah. And I would say Aaron, lastly, I want to stop you for a quick hmm? second. Quick yeah, please. Second. I want to go back to 
because I know you said you went 20 years without tears. Yeah, yeah I did see that, yeah. <laughs> can we, can you talk about that first, do you remember that first Ooh. cry where you kind of like, oh my God, let yourself cry? What, yeah. can you describe that? Yeah. What was the feelings during, totally. after? Totally, totally. I appreciate not letting me just skip past that important piece. Yeah, I can't let you just ride past that one. That, that's yeah, huge. Yeah, just real quick. That's look huge. at you. Catching the catching breath. That's huge, really important. So um, my father died uh, in 2010, and I actually found his body. It's a horrific death, how oh it goodness. went down. And I'm it was so it was anyone in anyone in war would probably have a similar experience that I had with my loved one. And so I, sh- I was devastated. I was on the verge of a mental collapse on multiple levels. But one thing I didn't do was really cry. Mm. One thing I didn't do was cry. And I didn't cry for his death and for the carnage around his death for three years. It took me three years to really catch. So 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013-ish is around I started my first tears. Now, what's significant about that is I remember two years after I met my fiance at the time, but my wife-to-be, and I told her the story of my father's death and she began to cry she's never met him she's just hearing that the pain of the story was like in her in her in her body like a human should be and she was weeping and she looks up at me in tears and goes why aren't you crying and i realized not only wasn't crying in that moment but i had not cried at all and says you should look into that now i could save you for take a time a long story of finding an amazing space holder wasn't even a therapist was a space holder that lived nearby who did a lot of space holding held space for me i remember her asking me she says tell me what happened to your father like tell me the story so i tell the whole story as a part of the story where i tell my mother that my father is dead and every time i tell that part of the story i just i kind of, i barely get through without crying mm-hmm. the rest of it i can go numb but i just couldn't stay numb Hardly, I could. I barely get through. I remember we we worked for about a year together. Went to a conference, a, a conference in the space being held, and a woman goes up in front of the group and begins to weep like I have never seen a person weep about her father who just recently passed. I mean, this person was screaming at a level that one can only do, and and I was just feeling their grief. I was, hold, I was barely holding together, and my and my my space holder, and counselor, and holding space person was tracking me because they, they bring me there for that very reason. And they said, and the facilitator of the whole space, which wasn't them, says, all right, let's take a break. That was a lot. Pair up with somebody and let's take a session to hold space for each other. Of course, my my counselor finds me amongst, you know, 100 people and uh, says, Aaron, I think you want to you do a session? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I'll do a session. And she goes, all right, great. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. And she's a little timer and she goes, Aaron, tell me about your father's death. Want to tell me about the story? I'm like, shoot, she almost got me. And I'm just like, my focus is not to cry because I'm still in this idea of I shouldn't cry. And I tell the story and I, I barely get through this story. I fuck out right. Like, oh, I got to that story. I didn't cry. I was like trying to figure out how to settle, you know. And she goes, that's great, Aaron. Great. Can you just tell me what you told your mother? She asked that one question. Can you just tell me what you told your mother? My face just started weeping. Started weeping. And she didn't even react like we haven't been waiting two years for this to happen. Because she'd been working for two years straight. She acted like it was another normal day. She was just like, I'm right here, Aaron. Hey, what, what can you notice? And I'm just 20 years of tears coming out of my face. She's not, <laughs> she's like, no, right here. You're human. You're right. She's excellent. Excellent. And I cried. Indefinitely for the rest of the next 11 years, but I'll say what's really important is that there were waves of it. So every couple of days, something simple hit me, and I just I would cry. Maybe it was because it was a, a poem, or I thought I saw a picture of my dad, a picture of my dad right here, you know, around I carry around. But what it was is I had 20 years of, of build up, and when you have 20 years of build up, your face just kind of blows off every couple of days. Oftentimes, you get, to, get your body caught up. But that was the moment, is that workshop with that amazing space holder, Jennifer Ramos, forever indebted to your space holding for my help, myself, um, that, that got me to a space of, of tears. And I also had this thing about not crying around women. So she really interrupted both of those things, being a woman and also um, making sure that I just was there. And she, she was so patient. Two years. She was never pushed, never said, come on, Aaron, it's been a year and a half, it's been six months, come every Thursday, you ain't cried yet. She's never pressured me. Just like when I'm ready to arrive, I will rise. She saw me fighting it. Every time I tell the story, I fight it. And I work on other things. I just try out all my techniques. She's let there, waited, 
and waited. And wow. when time was right, she allowed it to happen. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing, for sharing that. Um, I think you sharing that story is important for so many reasons, but um, I think one of the biggest for me is like the, the work and the support that sometimes we need. And it's okay to need that extra support. Um, I think that's why part of the reason why I, I'm super passionate about mental health and like meeting people like you is because like we, we like, we need each other and we need support, especially in times like that. And, you know, thinking about you and the experience that you had with your dad's passing and needing that two years of somebody kind of like slowly chipping away this thing that was a 20 year old building around you, (laughs) a 20 year old structure that you were like encased in. And it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. And that's something that I think, you know, it's great that mental health is finally coming to the forefront of a lot of conversations and healing is coming to the forefront of a lot of uh, conversations. But uh, it's, I think that remembering that all of these things take time and not just time, but also support and that support can look very different from for different people um but the fact that you know it took a couple years and to finally feel safe enough to finally feel like you know that you were ready um you know so i guess that's just to say like we got to be patient with ourselves and be grace be gracious with ourselves and i want to ask you like now what is your what is your relationship with with crying? Well, I think for me, like a lot of parts of myself, it's something I constantly have to work on. I, I can't think, oh, I've cried enough years. I'm good. I, I constantly have to track what needs for me to be safe. How often have I cried? If I, have I been numb recently? Just tracking if I'm going back into some old habits that I've worked on. So for me, it's something that's a sacred part of it. I think for me, I'm a pretty softy. I see two brothers cuddling. I'm like, <laughs> like I don't think I mean just just seeing brothers be tender now break my heart wide open and it, it, you know I, I find I cry in a lot of different kind of ways like there's ways I can cry where there's tears in my face I can cry internally I can cry in meditation I can cry in more of a weeping kind of a screaming process session I can cry so there's so many ways for me to cry now that I feel like I have some pretty good habits but um, I think for me anytime um, I see the cut project at momentum I find my tears are right there right there um, so I just, I love that. I took some leadership time at a, at a workshop I just taught and I asked the only black, other black man in the room to come and hold my hand for my five minutes of leadership time and another elder black woman come up and we did it. And he goes, and he goes, I think I've, I've, in my life, I've never held a black man's hand more than three minutes. I just realized that. And I was like, that right there was like, brother's about to cry. Like I'm, I'm already there. Like just him acknowledging that, um, is right there. So right now, not much, uh, around the cut project. I find that that's, that's a magic button for tears on some level. Yeah. I want to ask you, and and thank you so much for, wow, thank you so much for joining me today. I want you to kind of tell me about like what, what, uh, what is a cut project working on now? What are you working on now? If somebody is curious about um, getting involved, what does that look like? Uh, Yeah. So we have a touch, we have a touch specialist program that's actually changing its name to touch activist program. So we have a three month program that will be training people how to become touch advocates, how to tend to people in their lives, build a touch plan, track the brute story. It's not going to cover the chronically overtouch. It's kind of a different program. So the three-month program is kind of intensive just on on that. And then we also are seeking black men that are like, I would like to be held. I'm on the other end. I would like a touch activist to be assigned to me. And I would like to work with a touch activist to regain, reclaim, think about my touch plan for myself and have someone help me build one for myself. And then there's a documentary being made um, about this whole process. I want to be scalable in a conversation that's going to be over the next two years. Um, uh, I'll be starting more of that in earnest in November and December and hopefully finishing it the following November and December. Uh, There's a principal shooting. I don't know how long it takes to edit the whole thing, but the principal shooting will be done by then. Um, And we have a TEDx talk just dropped uh, probably 25 days ago, and we're trying to get as many people to view that, share that, share the origin story of the Cut Project. So those are kind of the major points. The Touch Specialist Program as a trainee, so if you want to come and get certified and trained, if you want to become a participant and be on the other end and being held in that container, the documentary and TEDx talk, those are the major pieces that are moving through the cut project right now. That's amazing. And 
please let me know. Like, we, we'll definitely stay in touch. But when that documentary comes out, we definitely want to share it with, with our community. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. I could keep going. Like, you are welcome back whenever <laughs> whenever you want. Um, I have so many more questions for you. But I, I, I know that um, we are getting close on our time. But I just want to say thank you, Erin, uh, for all the work that you're doing and for like having a very intentional drive to to help our community and help the world at at large um in all the different projects we didn't even get to we didn't even get to super adobe and cop sustainable building we didn't get to <laughs> and cop <laughs> um I'll, next, I'll next add some links yes next time for sure but I'll I'll make sure to add some links so if you guys are interested in some of the uh, things that Aaron's working on around sustainable building um, and sustainable houses and um, and really truly getting connected, reconnected with the earth in terms of housing. Um, I'm like a, a alternate housing nerd. So um, I'm just like geeking over all of this stuff often. So make sure that y'all go check out all of the links below. Um, I'll definitely link that TEDx talk as well um, in the link below. Um, make sure that you are... Uh, following Aaron. Aaron, where can they follow you on social media? Uh, Cut.project on Instagram. And you can find the website at cutproject.org. Perfect. So make sure you guys um, check out the website. Make sure you follow him. Um, keep an eye out for all the other amazing things that he's doing. Hopefully we can get him back on here uh, at some point in the future. But thank you, Aaron, for all the work you're doing. I, I truly appreciate you. Um, Popping on the mic with me today. Thank you. It's an honor to meet you. Hopefully meet you in person. You're in Florida. So I will bump around those woods soon. So let's reach for each other. Yes. Yes. Please let me know when you're down here. Um, I'm always down for a little quick drive. Uh, so let me know yeah. when you're here. Um, to everybody Hello. that's listening, thank you so much for listening to another episode. Um, I am going to keep bringing you amazing guests like this and amazing topics. Um, for anybody that is, maybe you have an idea about a guest, maybe you want to introduce me to somebody, make sure you, uh, send me an email, sign to the DMs, Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, uh, on Instagram, threads, all the things, and also, uh, Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 at gmail.com. Um, hit me up. I'm always looking for more people. But, um, thank you to everybody that's listening. I appreciate y'all, and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.